Welcome to another podcast from School of Surgery. Today we're going to talk about anti-reflux surgery. I'm Keaton Jones, Academic Clinical Fellow in General Surgery at the Oxford Deanery. Today's learning outcomes include knowledge of the relevant surgical anatomy, key operative steps of the most frequently performed of the anti-reflux operations, the Nissen 360-degree fund application, knowledge of alternative anti-reflux laparoscopic procedures, and recollection of the important complications of anti-reflux surgery. Starting off with a schematic representation of the initial anatomy seen when a laparoscope is passed into the abdomen facing the left hypochondrium. We have the greater omentum, the liver and the stomach and very little else. It's not until the liver is retracted and here we can see an interoperative initial view of what is seen at the first stage of the procedure which includes the liver the lesser omentum, the stomach, and the greater omentum. Here we can see this schematically, and also some of the other relevant anatomy. We have the greater omentum, the spleen, the liver, the stomach, the anterior vagus, and the lesser omentum. Also important to the right and left crew of the diaphragm. The greater curve, the fundus, the angle of hiss, and the lesser curve, along with the pylorus, make up the important parts of the gastric anatomy relevant in this operation. So in terms of the operative steps, first and foremost we will talk about the patient positioning, which is extremely important for this procedure, and port insertion. We will talk about liver retraction, the initial stages of peritoneal dissection, division of the short gastric vessels, followed by esophageal and crural dissection and formation of a posterior window, and then the suturing comes into play with a crew roll repair and finally the 360 degree wrap. Starting off with patient positioning and port insertion. The patient is essentially positioned into an armchair position. This requires a special operation table. Essentially, to start with, the knees are split and flexed. Subsequently, the hips are flexed to approximately 10 degrees. The whole table is brought head up the patient sits down in the table looking quite like they're in an armchair. The surgeon is then able to stand between the legs and operate facing directly towards the patient. Now the laparoscopic ports for a Nissen fund application vary greatly between surgeons according to their individual preference. It traditionally consists of a minimum of five ports and two or three of these will be 10mm, one for the camera and one for a 10mm Babcock retractor, for example. Surgeons frequently insufflate the abdomen in these patients, very much like uh, the bariatric population with a varus needle insufflation. This is passed at Palmer's point, which is the midpoint of the left subcostal margin, and then a 5mm port can then be placed where this initial varus needle was passed. In terms of the rest of the ports, a camera 10 or 12mm port will be placed usually a hand breadth below the xiphysternum just to the patient's left of the midline. There will be an assistant port which is frequently 10mm to allow for a babcock. The liver retractor is passed through an epigastric port and the two remaining 5mm ports will be used by the surgeon for performing the operation. Next is liver retraction. This is very important for this operation as the left hemiliver overlies the stomach and unless it's retracted superiorly uh, visualisation of the important structures will not be obtained. This is usually performed using uh, something called a Nathanson liver retractor. 
Essentially, when the 5mm port is inserted in the epigastrium, it can be immediately removed and knowledge of the tract and the direction it was placed in will allow the surgeon to place the Nathanson liver retractor, which looks a bit like a shepherd's hook, hook side first into the abdomen. And this retractor aims to apply smooth and equal pressure underneath the liver it subsequently elevates, and the remaining arm is fixed onto a table fixation device. Here we can see the 5mm epigastric port being inserted by the surgeon. This can be removed fairly quickly and followed uh, swiftly by the Nathanson liver retractor, which requires some skill to insert given the uh, metal itself has many different angles and it requires some practice to uh, position quickly and efficiently. The retractor itself is used to manoeuvre the liver into the required position with the aim of not hooking either border of the liver but applying equal pressure over the inferior surface. This has the effect of providing adequate liver retraction without leading to any form of liver ischemia. Here we can see the liver being retracted superiorly, giving a lovely view of the uh, operative area. The less momentum, stomach and greater momentum now being exposed. Once the retractor is in the desired location, it's fixed to the table using a table fixation device outside of the patient. The next stage of the procedure is the peritoneal dissection, division of the short gastric vessels, mobilisation of the esophagus. Here we can see the initial dissection through the lesser omentum. The assistant is using a laparoscopic Babcock retractor to hold the fundus of the stomach over to the patient's left hand side and the primary surgeon is holding up the lesser omentum and you can see the bloodless window which once entered allows a nice plane to move superiorly up towards the crura of the diaphragm. Once the lesser omentum has been divided, here we can see the peritoneum overlying the anterior border of the esophagus being divided and we can just see the right crus on the right hand side appearing in the window that was created by dividing the lesser omentum. Care has to be taken when dividing this peritoneum overlying the esophagus to avoid damaging the anterior division of the vagus nerve. The next stage of the procedure, once the peritoneum overlying the esophagus and crura have been divided, is to mobilise the fundus of the stomach. This is achieved by dividing the greater momentum from the greater curve, which includes division of the short gastric vessels. Here we can see the surgeon is retracting the stomach over to the patient's right, whilst the assistant is using the Babcock to retract the greater momentum over to the left. The short gastric vessels can be fairly chunky and would bleed briskly if not divided properly and therefore appropriate uh, diathermy with a long slow burn is used to, to avoid any unnecessary hemorrhage. The important thing during this dissection is to stick close to the stomach. If any of this greater momentum and fat is left on the stomach it can make the manipulation of the stomach around the back of the esophagus and the anterior wrap more difficult and if it's too bulky it can contribute to one of the complications which is dysphagia. Here we can see division of one of the short gastrics right on the stomach allowing for maximum clearance and you can see from the remnant that these vessels are quite large. The next stage of the procedure is esophageal and crural dissection. Once the greater omentum and short gastric vessels have been divided the surgeon has better access to the left crus of the diaphragm and the left side of the esophagus. And we can see here blunt dissection techniques being used in a cephalochordal fashion to develop the plane between the 
left crus posteriorly and the esophagus anteriorly. Development of this plane will aid in the fashioning of a posterior window where the esophagus will subsequently uh, be moved anteriorly and the fundus of the stomach pulled behind the esophagus to form part of the Nissen 360 degree wrap. In addition to blunt dissection techniques seen here, surgeons will sometimes insert tonsil swabs and use these as dissection tools to develop this plane between the esophagus and the left crus. What we can see here in a video of a different patient, what we can see here in a video of a different patient is that once the dissection has been completed over on the left hand side, approaching it from the right requires much less dissection as most of the work has already been done. And here with minimal blunt dissection you can see the window opening up behind the esophagus. Johan can be passed through to confirm there is free passage. This is the window that later on the fundus of the stomach will be passed behind to create the 360 degree wrap. And you can see here a few final strands of peritoneum overlying the anterior aspect of the esophagus being divided. The reason this has to be completed is ideally the esophagus needs to be mobile between 5 and 10 centimetres below the uh, diaphragmatic hiatus to allow for a proper posterior wrap to be completed. This is also a, a nice example of where the tonsil swab can be used as a blunt dissector, especially uh, up towards the chest. Obviously the heart and lungs are lying very close. One of the risks of this operation is entering the pleural cavity resulting in a uh, pneumothorax and so popping this very safe blunt tool up to develop the plane on either side of the esophagus posteriorly and anteriorly is a very useful technique. Earlier on we talked about uh, the anterior division of the vagus travelling anterior to the esophagus and here when the posterior window is being developed care must be taken to avoid damaging the posterior division. This is a very nice example, you can actually see it, surgeon pointing to it here, see how easy it would be to damage and that has to be taken anteriorly with the esophagus and not damaged in the process. In order to aid any further hiatal dissection the surgeon will often pass a Jake's catheter through the posterior window and secure this anteriorly using the Babcock retractor. This has the advantage of allowing the assistant with one instrument to move the uh, top of the stomach and the esophagus both left and right uh, giving the surgeon better access to the posterior window to allow for any further dissection. Now that the esophagus and crural dissection has been completed, the crural repair can take place. Before embarking on the crural repair, this is the view the surgeon would prefer to see. We can see we have the liver, the esophagus, the right crus, the left crus, the hiatus and the posterior window. Represented here schematically, the principle of the crural repair is to suture the left and the right crus together in order to reduce the hiatus and prevent a hiatus hernia. This is often achieved by using anywhere between one and four interrupted sutures performed laparoscopically. Here we can see the first suture of the crural repair being performed. The assistant has a critical role here in retracting the esophagus laterally so that an appropriate view of the crura can be obtained. Here we can see the needle passing through the left and the right crus in one pass. And then it's the surgeon preference in terms of 
how the knot is tied, whether this is a slip knot. In terms of how high up to go on the hiatal repair, the crew repair, uh, this is very much dependent on uh, how big the defect is uh, from the outset, but it's also important to take into account uh, this shouldn't be too tight in order to prevent the complication or side effect of dysphagia. One way uh, in which many surgeons uh, do this is by asking their anaesthetist to pass uh, a bougie down the esophagus under direct vision so that it doesn't perforate the esophagus or stomach when it passes around uh, the esophagogastric junction. Uh, and depending on men or women and the surgeon's preference, uh, this will then uh, slightly increase the size of the esophagus as if a food bolus was passing through it and one can see uh, how snug the crew repair is and know whether to proceed with any more sutures or not. In our patient the crew repair has been performed using three sutures and you can see the final one being tied here at the top of the picture. The next and final stage of the operation is the 360 degree wrap. So after taking you through that careful dissection Hopefully I haven't completely lost your interest, as we're about to get to the final and important stage of the operation. Here we can see the surgeon identifying the fundus of the stomach, ensuring it's mobile enough to be passed around the back. They then use the Johan to pass through the posterior window behind the esophagus, which is then able to grasp the fundus and pull it through the posterior window, when the shine manoeuvre can be performed to ensure that there is adequate mobility of the stomach behind the esophagus. So here, surgeon is grabbing the fundus with the other instrument, then able to pass it behind the window they've carefully dissected out, and then perform what is typically described here as the shine manoeuvre, passing the stomach back and forth behind the esophagus. As you can see, both parts come together nicely of the anterior aspect of the esophagus and the next component will be to suture full thickness uh, the stomach, the fundus, uh, back on itself over the esophagus. Here we can see the first suture grasping uh, the stomach, pulling it over and suturing through the fundus of the stomach this can be a particularly difficult suture uh, to place because as you can see we have the assistant pulling down on the Jake's catheter and uh, the primary surgeon has to maintain the tension on the suture uh, when not tying in order to bring both aspects of the stomach together. And when performed expertly here you can see suture coming together very nicely and then swiftly followed by uh, a throw in the other direction and then that suture is secure. The next sutures uh, after this are much easier because the stomach is already opposed and usually uh, three sutures is adequate uh, in order to um, complete the 360 degree wrap. Here we can see the third and final suture being applied in this patient who subsequently only did require uh, three sutures. Uh, techniques vary at this stage of the operation as some surgeons like to take a small portion of the anterior esophagus uh, in between the two bites they take on the stomach. Um, this practice varies. Uh, it's thought to anchor the wrap onto the anterior part of the esophagus, uh, but there is little evidence to suggest uh, whether one technique is beneficial over the other one. Obviously, by taking an anterior aspect of the esophagus, there is the risk of uh, 
uh, damaging the esophagus, uh, which was, is absent if this approach is not taken. It has to be said, at this stage of the operation, often uh, consultants will allow their trainees to perform a stitch or two, and as you can see, this third suture is taken slightly longer than the previous ones. This is the final view seen in the operation, where we can see the fundal wrap 360 degrees all the way around the back of the esophagus and anchored anteriorly using three interrupted sutures. As mentioned at the outset of this screencast in the learning objectives, I will briefly mention the alternative uh, procedures which are sometimes performed much less frequently than the Nissen 360 degree as it has the most robust body of evidence for its long-term efficacy. However, the alternatives, one is a doors wrap, which is anterior 180 degrees. This is where the fundus is brought anterior over the esophagus, therefore you do not need to make the posterior window and then sutured onto the stomach or esophagus anteriorly. The toupee is the same principle as a Nissen 360, but rather than bringing the fundus all the way round back onto itself, completing the 360 degrees, this is limited to, to around 270 degrees. Without going into the details of the pros and cons of these procedures, for various reasons uh, the Nissen has been adopted as the most common approach and is certainly the first line when combining the operation with a hiatus hernia repair. In terms of complications, I will mention uh, the specific intraoperative complications related to the Nissen fund application. As you can see through the operative videos, we're operating very close to the spleen, especially when dividing the short gastrics, and therefore bleeding from the spleen or these vessels is a potential complication. Also visceral perforation, which includes the stomach and the esophagus. And then finally, when performing the hiatal dissection, there is a possibility of entering the pleural cavity, resulting in pneumothoraces. In terms of post-operative comp complications, one of the most frequently reported is gas bloat. This is where patients are unable to pass gas by the per oral route, and therefore they feel uh, an element of discomfort, like their stomach has become bloated. Equally, depending on uh, the technique used, if the wrap is too tight or the cruel repair is too tight, patients can suffer with dysphagia. Again, in relation to the gas bloat, as gas is not travelling upwards, it travels downwards, and so some patients complain of troublesome flatulence. And finally, uh, probably the most common over the long term, certainly after 10 years, a significant proportion of patients, and when I say significant, maybe up towards 10-20%, will report recurrent symptoms and this is most frequently uh, identified by asking them whether they're back on their anti-acid medications such as a H2 antagonist or a proton pump inhibitor. So going back to our learning outcomes, hopefully by the end of this screencast you will now have knowledge of the relevant surgical anatomy. You'll be aware of the key operative steps involved in a Nissen 360 degree fund application. Briefly, an overview of the alternative laparoscopic anti-reflux procedures and recall the important complications of anti-reflux surgery. So thank you very much for joining us for this new podcast, Anti-Reflux Surgery. Remember you can follow us on Facebook by searching School of Surgery, on iTunes or via schoolofsurgery.podomatic.com. I'd like to thank Mr Sean Appleton who performed the surgery for this podcast and he was assisted by both myself and surgical care practitioner Glynis Howitt. Thank you very much.